Hello and welcome to another edition of the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the biggest and most important stories in TV business, brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm Broadcast Insight Editor, Jesse Whittock, and this week I have no less than two colleagues joining me, Broadcast Editor-in-Chief Chris Curtis and reporter Desiree Beckwee. We have the lowdown on the landmark terms of trade agreement between the BBC and PACT, and we assess what the departure of BBC's controller of factual commissioning, Alison Kirkham, to Apple means for Auntie and its factual output. We'll also look at how digital influencers and online content creators have been reacting to the coronavirus lockdown, and we'll find out what the broadcast team have been watching at home on telly this week. So let's crack straight on with the show. Uh, The first story we're going to look into today is one of two that broke on the day we're recording, which is Wednesday. It is the ending of the drawn-out terms of trade negotiations between the BBC uh, and PACT, the indie body, over over the digital rights uh, situation. Um, Chris, you're going to take us through exactly what this means. Yes, you're right. Hello, Jesse. Um, it's been a long old battle between Pact and the BBC. They seem to have finally buried the hatchet. Um, and it's also pretty clear that the deal that um, Pact did with uh, Channel 4 um, has kind of been the template for this. So it's sort of similar kind of principles, really, in that the broadcaster is prepared to give up a proportion, in this case, of the back end revenues, you know, international revenues generated um, around. Uh, programs that it it commissions for its channels and in return the uh, broadcaster gets uh, greater um, maneuverability for its online player in this case what it gets is the the much sought after 12 month iPlayer window Um, yeah it's slightly surprising in some ways that it's taken them so long to get to this point I think that the Beeb was pretty clear that it was determined to have all its new commissions online on iPlayer for a minimum of 12 months, which seems eminently sensible, right? There's a whole generation of um, license fee payers who can't quite understand the idea that uh, a piece of content that, that's been paid for about their license fee shouldn't be available for them to watch for a pretty significant amount of time online on the VOD platform. Um, so that you know the BBC gets that it gets uniformity it gets consistency anything we order you can watch for 12 months um, and I actually think the Indicept has been relatively open to that as a principle they understand viewer expectations have changed but they always wanted something in return um, they either wanted payment uh, which it became pretty clear they, they weren't going to get the BBC's cash strapped like most other big broadcasters and, and and wasn't inclined to increase the license fee for shows in order to pay for it. And so they needed something else and they've gone down the similar route to channel four, which is being prepared to give away a little portion of their, of their backend revenues. So there is some recompense for the production sector and it feels a little bit as though common sense has prevailed on all sides. We've got Tony Hall here saying that everybody wins uh, out of this situation is that the right way to see it or do we feel that the BBC or the Indies will secretly be happier about this? Who, who sort of comes out best? Um, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche to say it's a win-win, but I, I, it might not be huge wins for either side, but I don't see either party as losing dramatically. 
Um, so um, the indie isn't getting any less money or, 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 or losing out in any way. And the principle of uh, the business model for many independent production uh, uh, companies remains, which is create a show for a British PSB. So either the terms of trade apply or at least the principle of IP ownership applies. Um, create it, make it a hit, cross your fingers, and then you're able to exploit it overseas. And they continue to do that. And now they'll, they, they won't have to part with quite as much um, revenue share as they did previously. So that, that works out for them. I just think it was really important for the BBC. It sort of tied itself up in knots a little bit getting to this point. But I can completely understand the principle, which is this, like I say, this uniformity. Everything we order after TX, 12 months, it's there feels very consistent and it will help them make the narrative around iPlayer stronger. Um, so I do think that the, it, it, it works out well. The BBC isn't losing money so much as it, you know, it won't quite receive as much as it, as it will do if the show is a significant international hit. Well, the vast majority of shows aren't genuinely significant international hits so um it feels like a a, a sort of common sense approach but l like i said before the the crux of it all is that the bbc wanted something and ultimately they were prepared to give up something in order to to get it um and that's why it feels like a grown-up um a grown-up response to what had been uh, frankly a little bit of an embarrassing uh, impasse between the two sides for for months and months both parties were getting grumpy with each other and um you wonder whether the straightened circumstances of lockdown and sort of the big external pressures that have come to bear have sort of refocused minds and made both parties think well come on let's um let's get this across the line let's do a deal because it, it just makes sense and we and we need to draw draw a line under this and um and move on and you could argue that with the channel four pack deal having been struck um last year um, with that blueprint um, already there, uh, as you say, it's, it became more and more sort of confusing as to why one broadcaster could strike such a deal and another couldn't. Obviously, there are um, differentiating circumstances between what the BBC can offer and, and what Channel 4 can offer and how those two broadcasters are structured. Um, but it certainly feels like this is a, 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 a good win for the sector. I mean, um, a secondary um, element to this, um, this is a small win for distributors as well, as there'll be more sort of back-end money going to producers. Um, so potentially they might be making ever so slightly more um, cash from their deals as well. Um, so it kind of feels like all parties are happy. Yeah, I think, like I say, I think both parties would be glad it's done and dusted and they can move on to more to more pressing matters and goodness knows there are a few of those. Another pressing matter um, for the BBC now is um, what they're going to do about their factual department because we've had the, the news today that uh, Alison Kirkham is moving on, um, leaving her role as controller of factual uh, to join Jay Hunt at Apple. Um, that's quite a big one for the BBC, isn't it? That's a, uh, she's, a, she's a huge figure there, very influential player within their commissioning structure. So uh, what's, what's your initial read on that, Chris? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I'd like to, to say that we all saw it coming, but um, it was slightly um, out of left field. Um, 
I mean, you can look at it from both perspectives, from the Apple perspective and, and from the, the BBC perspective. Apple remains a very small operation in terms of number of people, but those people are well-known, powerful individuals. So Jay Hunt, obviously, um, running uh, Apple um, Apple's um, video strategy out of the UK, liaising with British and European uh, indies, um, commissioning high-end, scripted and non-scripted. She works with a guy called Joe Oppenheimer. He's a film producer, worked at BBC Films for many years. Um, so she had a sort of um, a lieutenant for um, uh, scripted products, and, uh, and now she's got a lieutenant in, in, in non-scripted uh, with Alison Kirkham. So still a tight, small team, but um, tasked with uh, producing uh, a relatively small number of super premium hours, which in many ways is the complete opposite of um, what Alison's job was at the BBC, where you know the majority of uh, all BBC hours are factual hours, just the na- nature of the, the the way the industry works. She has to balance everything in that role from the very biggest blue chip natural history programs right the way through to what we're going to play at 7.30 on a Tuesday night on BBC Two that we need to make for less than £100,000 an hour and blah, blah, blah. And, and actually... <laughs> the 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 two roles are in many ways very different um though it's interesting that um, a lot of apple content has been quite psb uh sort of related to to, to sort of psb principles um and uh sort of you know particularly their non-scripted you think they've already commissioned the nhu to make dinosaur programming and there's some similarities i think between um both Jay and Alison's PSB backgrounds and the sort of vibe, the mission statement coming out of uh, out of Apple. So in many ways, like I say, the, the roles are very different, but uh, it's a, it's a good. It seems to be a good fit. Well, I've spoken to a number of producers uh, about the visibility of Apple and Apple TV Plus. The service itself is still relatively sort of unheard of if you consider what Disney Plus has. Uh, achieved in the short time it's been running if you consider uh, Netflix's brilliant results recently and how it's been on such a good run for such a long time um, I don't know if that's something that, that Alison or Jade necessarily can affect um, but it is it's a question isn't it for, for all of those big shows is how do Apple shows actually cut through when you've got so many competing services yeah for sure I mean I think it's one of the things is it's increasingly hard to work out um, from an outsider point of view what success looks like. So, I mean, what Apple TV isn't really trying to be a Netflix or a Disney Plus where it's reaching out. You know, it's fundamentally about um, enhancing the value of Apple as a brand to those individuals who have already or intend to purchase an Apple device and predominantly you know a smartphone or an apple apple tv box set in the states and increasingly i guess in in the future in in the uk so yeah look it's really hard to know isn't it how many people watched the morning show whether it was a huge hit or a massive flop um certainly did well in uh, award season uh, in the states but by the end uh, beyond that you know how much visibility do we have uh, around the other titles and how well they're doing not very much and probably haven't had anything that's quite as talked about as some of the big 
um, Netflix cut through shows. So you'd be hard pressed to, to point to Apple's Tiger King or, um, you, you know, their uh, big reality breakthrough too hot to handle or, or, or anything like that. But they're not really trying to play in that, that space. They're like a, an aggregator trying to be like a sort of rival to a pay TV platform really and then i think the 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 um, apple tv plus originals are like the kind of icing on top of the on top of the cake and so you only need a relatively small number of shows to be as i said super premium and i think that's what the strategy is so from a digital giant to uh, digital influencers uh, des you have been recently reporting quite consistently on the role that digital influencers and online content creators uh, are taking uh, during lockdown. What, what have the influencers been doing in the last, uh, let's say, month? There's where, where what have their, their focus been? Yeah. Um, so I actually got to speak to Joe Sugg um, along with um, his his uh, uh, kind of business partner Casper Lee, um, who I watched when I was thirteen. So I was trying not to freak out, but. Um, uh, they're saying that people are prepared. They're prepared for uh, what lockdown can offer them. Um, he said that you know, there's he he runs a, a management company with Lee. Um, said that they're you know pushing their talent out there, trying to see whether there's any television opportunities. Um, I spoke to uh, Glee Management, um, who's is, which is headed up by um, Dom Smales, and he said that you know they have a studio arm um, that are looking to develop programming. Um, spoke to BBC Studios as well. They have a talent label and talent is also looking to push into television in this time. So they're really seeing the opportunities that are available there um, with now with lockdown and the fact that, you know, people are making content from home and they've been doing it for the last 10 years. And are, are they talking purely about effectively porting what they do on online platforms straight to television or are they looking to adapt some of that into sort of more classical television formats? I think they're pretty, pretty open to it. Um, I think when I speak to people who manage talent and talent themselves, they say, you know, obviously they want it to be a very collaborative process. Um, it's probably going to be difficult to transpose some of the things that are on kind of digital platforms to TV. People don't want to watch people, I don't know, hauling, opening iPods, for example, or something like that. Like it's not going to kind of translate directly. The unboxing. But, um, the unboxing, trend. yeah. Or, or mukbangs, just watching people eat. I don't think that's going to work very M well. Mukbangs. Um, mukbangs yeah it's just people eating an inordinate amount of food um which is oh. you should you should check it out it's actually really soothing um i'm showing my age <laughs> i've never never heard of that before um so yeah there is it's about kind of taking what they know they're, they're they're their own kind of production houses themselves they have the kit already at home it's about kind of tapping into that and however they want to do that i think it's they're pretty flexible with that how are they practically doing uh how are they doing that what is the development process you know, a lot of influencers are happy being on the platforms they're on, but, you know, television is is kind of a stalwart, is, is kind of what you've been looking at for your whole life. So obviously they want to they wanna get there. Um, building their brands are important, but also if you get the chance to be on BBC One, like you wouldn't really think twice about it, I don't think. But I think one of the re really interesting things that came out of the conversations I was having was that, you know, them, Channel 4, BBC, they're making shows in lockdown. Um, but there's a dynamism inherent in like making a YouTube video. You know, there's you have to constantly think of ways to make content from your house. And sometimes it's boring, sure, but sometimes there's some really interesting things out there. Um, so when I spoke to Dom Smales, he was saying, you know, you need to kind of dig into the platform and, and look at the things that are out there. People are making video essays. I spoke to one guy um, called Steph Michalak, who who owns uh, uh, 
a drone camera and cinematic cameras and makes brand branded content for people like LG. There's a lot that TV can kind of take from 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 talent, um, whether that's putting them on TV or just you know ideas. Um, so and I'm right in saying that Steph uh, Michalak uh, was he he said in a, or he t- he told you that uh, like even flippant ideas turn into into video. And I suppose that's something that's kind of quite uh, an anathema to TV production, really, in a way, which has to be uh, has to think much more strategically about pitching for yeah. slots and uh, yeah. Yeah, concepts that work for certain channels. So it's the in that sense, he's saying that it's kind of the opposite on when you're creating digital uh, influencer talent uh, content that you need to just react much faster. And perhaps that's something that people can learn under lockdown. It's hard to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff because there's basically no barriers of barriers to entry. Um, but I think there's a lot of really interesting creators doing some really interesting things that like things that are long form. I watched a 40 uh, minute uh, kind of really well produced monologue about the perils of capitalism. And I could see that as like something that would be on like, I don't know, Channel 4 or something. So I think there's definitely, uh, is definitely well worth the investment to try and see what people are doing on, on there and how to, how to replicate it. So now on to the what we're watching section of the podcast. Um, what has been on the Desiree Beckwe viewing list this week? Um, so you mentioned that um, we shouldn't go for normal people, and I've been watching that continuously. Um, but other than that, well, only um, because I, everyone's talking about it all the time. Because it's so good. It's so good. I'm just anyway. Uh, I've been watching uh, this uh, ABC show, Australian ABC, um, called Please Like Me. Um, it's written by this guy called Josh Thomas, who also stars in it, stars in it as this kind of awkward twenty-something Australian guy, um, and it's kind of it's kind of a comedy drama it's quite depressing at the same time he breaks up with his girlfriend you know kind of comes to terms with the fact that he's gay his mother tries to commit suicide it's really there's, there's a lot but at the same time it kind of captures kind of it's filmed very naturalistically so like there's a lot of awkward pauses and it sounds like um, a barrel of laughs Des. It's, oh man <laughs> it's 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 i don't know I, i'm kind of attracted to comedies that kind of um make me depressed and make me laugh because the last film more earned i guess um uh, so yeah, no, it's it's great. It's, I've never really watched an Australian series before, so it's it's you know surprising to to find out that it's not all like late neighbours and some people are just are awful and having a sad time. And you've also been uh, you've been delving into the um, back catalogue of Britbox. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it was just it's so it's so strange because I was like when I got it, I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to use this, but actually, it's quite it's quite interesting. I've been watching like old episodes of Brass Eye and stuff. It's it's really it's really like yeah, it's easy to get sucked in. But I've been watching um, a ten-year-old. I think it's like eleven years old now. A ten-year-old um, adaptation of Small Island, um, which is a novel by Andrea Levy, and it's about um, Jamaican migration and there's a lot about colonialism and um, race relations in 1940s London, which again is a barrel of laughs. <laughs> but it's it's really good. The the cast is excellent. It has you know Benedict Cumberbatch, Naomi Harris, Ruth Wilson. Um, I watched the stage show like a couple months ago and it's it's just as kind of enthralling and interesting um, so yeah I've been, re- I've been really enjoying um, Small Line on Britbox. Uh, what about yourself Chris? We're just about clinging on by our fingertips to be honest what with working from home and uh, parenting a errant toddler and um, <laughs> trying to get through the day with countless zoom calls so um, we tend to watch 
nothing too heavy, slightly mindless uh, uh, stuff, if at all possible. I've been enjoying the World Cup reruns. Um, so I watched the England-Germany 1990 semi-final for the first time in Absolutely for the first time in 30 years. It was yeah, we played well though. It was quite interesting uh, watching. We 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 played quite well. Um, in 1990 when it was on, um, I would have been uh 13 and my sister's german pen pal was staying with us at the time so uh, not only did i have my heart broken um by uh andreas bremer and co um i had to suffer that indignity uh with um uh, a german teenager uh, in the city room at the same time so that was lousy um and then what else have we been wa- we've been watching um we're on series four of Netflix's The Last Kingdom, which is an incredibly bloody and violent sort of Vikings and Saxons epic, which I sort of keep half an eye on while my, while my wife uh, watches. She's very keen on the lead actor who plays a, a bloke called Uhtred. So I, I often stomp around the house proclaiming, I am Uhtred, but it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> have the desired effect, sadly. I'm much more of a Christopher than an Uhtred. So that brings to the end another broadcast news wrap. Chris, there's a nice one for joining us. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. I'd say to see you soon, but probably won't. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, I'll see you on another Zoom call before long. Um, And and for all the listeners out there, thank you very much for joining us again. Uh, We'll see you next week.